Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to Made by Mamas, the podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Georgia. And we're here talking all things parenthood, tips and tricks, products we love and brands that we can't live without. Let's get into it. Hello. Hello, Georgia. Hello. Hello. Hello, Everything all right, Lorenzo? (laughs) (laughs) It's literally fallen in a hole. No, I'm fine. It's the first full week of lockdown in England, isn't it? So all of our Welsh followers will have come out today. So they've they've actually come out of their fire break. And Scotland have obviously got their own rules and regs going on. But here in the UK, we are very much into it. We are. Except for I'm not into it. You're not, no, I'm not into it either. But on Saturday, I had a proper lockdown day where James obviously works on a Saturday. I was at home on my own with two children. And you know, when the realization hits, you're at home on your own. And normally, yeah. like the go to thing would be to go around to someone's house or, yeah. you know, t- take them to soft play or like take them to the gym, put them in the creche. I mean, that is my go to, put them in yeah, the creche. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and like all of those lifelines are taken away again. And you think, oh, I Gigi clung to a loft ladder um, for about 20 minutes at the top of the loft ladder and she was screaming and at one point I actually thought am I gonna be here now until eight o'clock when James gets home like did you have a weird thing that flashed in your head thinking what is gonna happen here yeah I did I was thinking because if I pull her too hard I'm gonna (laughs) I'm gonna gonna fall back and we're gonna fall on the floor and then Axel's gonna have to phone the ambulance yeah and then the other part of me was like well maybe we could just stay here till James gets back I'm sure I can hold How on. How did it end? <laughs> well, in the end, Axel told me to tickle her. And so I did. And it actually it actually worked because I managed to tickle her and get her off. So actually, Axel was the parent in this situation. Um, Axel always comes up with the best solutions, doesn't he? I know. I know. So Axel, the perfect Axel. child. The favourite child. He was the favourite child on Saturday, for yeah. sure. Yeah, Absolutely yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, and how are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm much better. I'm much better. I was being a bit of a Debbie Downer at the end of last week. But um, I think I had the hormonal rage as well. I think part of having, you know, going through the early menopause, you get this, even on HRT, actually, you get this rage that comes out of nowhere where you're just like, fuck off. (laughs) And I said to Dodger, I was like, everything that you're doing is annoying me. So don't do anything. And he was like, oh, I love you so much. I was like, I love you. But the way you're sitting is irritating me right this second. So just sit there and I'm going to sit on the other end. And then obviously I calmed down. But um, 
yeah it was just a weird one I think the first time that we went into lockdown I was like okay great I get it we're going to save the NHS and we're doing our thing and it was kind of novel and all the rest of it now I'm a bit like what are we doing here again um so I think yeah I mean look everybody has their feelings around it and I I think the positives are you know we, we we can still work and I'm getting to go into heart and do all that stuff but I was just feeling a bit fucked off with life and I think that's okay and that's fine that is absolutely fine <laughs> no one wants it's to hear someone moaning on a podcast do they sorry we are talking um to a really fantastic father today we've got a male voice on the podcast which we always like to do because obviously um you know it's just really interesting getting an insight into how a dad feels it is exactly. We all want to know what's going on in our other halves' heads, don't we? <laughs> Not all the time. So, no, I mean actually, that is a complete. Why did I even say that? I don't want to know. Um, but sometimes it would be good to know. So this week we are chatting to Ben Anderson, who is otherwise known as a Diary of a Dad. Let's get into it. So today's guest, somebody that we have been very much looking forward to chatting to for a while now. Obviously, our name, Made by Mummers, um, suggests maybe that we are just for the mums out there. But this podcast is very much for parents, um, whatever your setup looks like. So we always love it when we have a male voice on the podcast. And today is a father who has been lifting the lid, the real lid on being a dad, um, who's very, very open and honest and inspiring on his Instagram. He's been on telly doing loads of debates. He's got four kids, father of four. I mean, hat off to him, to Arlo, (laughs) to Myla, to Esme and to Otis. Um, Husband to his beautiful wife, Sophie, and has a really strong following online. So we're, we're really over the moon today to be speaking to Ben Anderson, aka Diary of a Dad. Yay! Thank you for having me. How about that intro, Ben? Do you like I was going to say, that, that was that was quite the intro. <laughs> I, I feel like I've now got a lot to live up to in this conversation. Inspiring, <laughs> honest, relatable. Come on, what have you got? <laughs> Anything missing that you want us to add? <laughs> no, I, I'm not, I'm not going to set myself up for failure now. So. <laughs> so how's life at the moment in lockdown with four children? Well, this morning, or, or no, this afternoon, it has gone 12. Um, it's actually the quietest it ever is in my my house because the older three on a Monday are all in school full time. Um, Otis is next door napping. Um, so it is actually really, really quiet at, at this moment in time. Um, we've just come off the back of a very, very manic weekend um, where we suddenly realised how much we've been relying on being able to go out for the last few weeks. Um, yeah. I, I completely forgot that we were in lockdown. So yeah. um I was ready to go to the pub for lunch yesterday. It's just oh, like a no. Sunday ritual. And it just sort of dawned on me at about midday that that wasn't going to be a possibility. And I was just like, oh, no. And then it got to about 2.30 in the afternoon. And Sophie said, I think I'm going to start bath time. And I was like, it's 2.30. <laughs> she was like, I know, but let's just get ahead of everything. For, for the." It was kind of, I don't know, the, the, it was just one of those weekends where by, by 2.30 on Sunday, we were we were ready for it to be over. And ready to wind down. Yeah, ready for them to go to bed from that point, to be honest. but To be honest with you, we talk about that a lot on Made by Mamas, that it get, you know, yeah. there's certain, certain days where you just, you're absolutely frazzled from the moment you've woken up and they don't, they, the kids just don't play ball and they're just so unpredictable yeah. that you can't manage them, especially if you've got little ones that are in that sort tantrum stage it's quite yeah. hardcore 
No, it definitely is. <laughs> Do you know what? I actually dreaded the other day when my son Axel, he's four, came home from school and they said that they'd been learning to tell the time. And I literally thought, shit, he's going to know <laughs> that, he goes, that he goes to bed like two hours earlier than all of his mates. <laughs> so I'm like, I took the batteries out of the clock in the kitchen. Amazing. Well done. <laughs> And I think I'm, that's what I'm going to have to do. I'm just going to have to change all the clocks so that we're two hours uh, two hours ahead of everyone else. That's yeah, what we're going to have to do. In our house, I, th- I think we're governed pretty much by the darkness at the moment. So our kids aren't too bad. When it starts getting dark, they start associating that with getting ready for bed. But obviously, yeah. it's getting darker a lot earlier at the moment. So you kind of you can't go to bed at four o'clock um, <laughs> <laughs> as much as I'd love them to some nights uh, or some afternoons. And then, yeah, in the but the only thing is in the mornings it's kind of that weird bit where it is slightly lighter a little bit earlier at the moment and um yeah they're just uh, they are getting up incredibly early at the moment so uh you've always got to be ready for whatever time of day you've just got to be on it and ready to go and that's that's just not easy especially on a hangover if um yeah we got to take those hangover days though right because we need to have a bit of fun that's the way I see it of course. Yeah, they come. Just not just not as often as I'd like. Um, listen, Ben, let's talk about um, why you decided to kind of be a voice in the parenting space and kind of what led you to Diary of a Dad. Yeah, so, I mean, it was really, really, really organic um, in the, the Diary of a Dad didn't start until Esme was born. So I think she was a few weeks old when I, I first started the account. Um I've always been in and around social media um, for years. Um, But, you know, it was kind of just the typical thing. I had a personal Instagram page and I'd upload photos of the kids and videos and whatever. Um, But I don't know, I just, I didn't really sort of see this as being a thing. Um, And then I guess as... As we were going through Esme's pregnancy, I, I started to notice a little bit more online that there were, you know, more parents sharing their story. And I just remember there was the, the, the one morning where I actually created the account. It was just a case of um, Esme was very sick as a baby, as in she kept throwing up after every single feed um, in the early days. And so there was a point where I think between it, it wasn't even 6am and she'd been sick on me about three times. Oh um, one of the other kids had come in saying that they didn't feel well. Arlo was lying at the foot of our bed and I just thought no one would believe this unless I was actually documenting it. And that's yeah. literally, I remember sitting in my bed being like, what can I call this account if I'm going to talk about this? And I was like, every, and I literally said to myself, every single day is different. And I was like, that's a bit like a diary. And I was like, the diary of a dad. And, and that's literally how it was born. Um, and it was, it was strange because again, you know, whenever you start these things, you know, you are literally just talking into thin air. Um, and it was, I think it was a few days in, I think I, I posted a, a photo of Esme, used to like falling asleep on top of the washing machine on her changing mat. Um, <laughs> so there was this image of her on the, the changing mat. Um, I had a bottle of Budweiser and I was reading um, Mother Pucker and Papa Pucker, Pucker's book, their first one. Um, and I uploaded that. And then literally everyone was just like, yes, this is real life parenting. Um, and it just went from there, really. Would yeah. you say that... You're a different sort of father to how you thought you would be. I think so. Um, I'd always, 
actually, do you know what? I, there was a period of time when, when I first met Sophie, I didn't really want kids, um, which sounds like bizarre even saying that now. Um, I was just very happy with where we were in our lives. And, you know, we, we'd started a business together and we had all these aspirations for what we were going to do there. And we like traveling and all of these sorts of things. So there was a point where kids just weren't even on my agenda. Um, yeah. And then we fell pregnant with Arlo and obviously, you know, the most amazing thing that, that's ever happened. I, I always describe that as just being one of those real sort of like turning points in my life. And from that moment, I guess that's where I, I started then to, to change. I, I guess I'd always thought that I'd be like the really cool, fun parent and, I like to think to some extent I am that, that character. Um, but then there's just, I don't know, some of the, the more practical side of things and, you know, being really, really super responsible. And obviously now that the kids are getting older, it's kind of, you know, you want to shape how they are as humans and what they're going to grow up to be like. So sometimes I find myself being a little bit boring and then I have to try and inject all the fun back into things again. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I'm just on a constant roller coaster in terms of the type of parent that, that I am. Yeah, and also probably same as us, you know, you, you, you change, it changes. One minute you think you've got it and the next minute you think, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. Then something else comes up, which is challenging and difficult and pushes you as a couple. So I don't think you can ever really set your stall out as to what sort of parent you are, because definitely from my parenting, I feel like there are loads of different sides to my parenting. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. And, and also every child's different as well. So, you know, you, you might have, I remember we were saying that when Arlo was born, um, you know, we were A, for first time parents. So I think you're very, you know, anxious about certain things and you do everything by the book and, you know, but yeah. also we, we had made a commitment to ourselves that when Arlo came along, it wasn't going to change absolutely everything. So we still traveled and a hell of a lot um you know Arlo got his, his wow. passport when he was like six weeks old um and you know through work and pleasure we were still carrying on as as normal people were amazed I think Arlo's he's only six now and he he's done like close to 200 flights um wow. and a lot of that had come before he started school because once he started school obviously we were governed by school holidays and school holiday yeah. prices yeah. um whereas before we could just go off at the drop of a hat and uh, we work in the music industry and we do touring and, you know, so he was kind of like always up and down traveling with us. Um, obviously when Myla came along, you know, then you just add another child into the mix, but still both being preschool age, again, we still had that flexibility, but that's when we realized that, you know, we are dealing with two very different children. Um, and, you know, number three and number four, you, you just realize how different the circumstances are. And you've got to yeah. rock and roll it daily. Definitely. Um, ben, I want to take you back to the moment of the births. And I want to mm -hmm. hear from a, from a father's point of view, what it is like witnessing your partner going through something like that and how it made you feel. And I guess what your sort of role was, um, you know, the couple of weeks after the births. Yeah, so for Arlo, I remember like really, really well, because again, you know, sort of first child. So you've, we've done all of the, you know, the, prenatal classes and, yeah. and done all of all of that stuff although there's a funny story where i i fell asleep during one of them because we were, having, <laughs> <laughs> we were having them we were having them at home privately and 
we used to have this, this, the front part of our house was basically like a greenhouse. This is my excuse and I'm sticking to it. It was like a greenhouse and it got very hot. Arlo was born in July. It was a very particularly warm summer. And this lady was, you know, she was there with all her charts and her diagrams. And I, I did fall asleep. Um, it That's doesn't fine. take. No me, right? I mean, no yeah, we can't blame you. <laughs> it doesn't take much for me to fall asleep, but you know the heat wasn't wasn't helping. Um, and so you know, I felt like we were very very prepared for you know childbirth and labour and all of those sorts of things. Um, so we go into hospital. Um, we were induced. We've, we've actually been induced with all of our, our births. So there's an element of knowing when things are going to happen, but for the first time, we didn't realise you know, just how long a drawn out process that could be. So we went into hospital on the Saturday evening and Arlo yeah. wasn't born until the Monday afternoon. Um, wow. There was a, a whole bunch of things that happened in between that probably should never have happened. And, you know, subsequent pregnancies, you're just like, how on earth did they allow this labor to go on, you know, this long? But yeah. um, in the room, it was... I just felt my role was just to be whatever Sophie needed me to be at that particular time. So, you know, if she wanted entertaining and, you know, me to be a bit silly, then that was fine for me to do. Um, I remember we had a WhatsApp group with like a few of our friends who were also parents and, you know, we would just try to get them to guess the name and the age, the, the weight, sorry, and, and things like that. So that kind of just kept the time ticking by, um, I remember Sophie's mom came with us as well, um, but she was very. She, she's a very, um, a very. Be careful, Ben. <laughs> Use your yeah. word very carefully, <laughs> mate. Very <laughs> did, lovely. Did she really sweet? Pause. <laughs> yeah, she's a lovely lady and very opinionated. Is what I was going to say. Right. Um, but in that moment, she she was just in the corner. She was just very quietly observing, um, and it, it was really interesting because. You know, Sophie sort of said that she she was kind of glad, actually, that she didn't have two personalities that were trying to be, you know, fully involved. She kind yeah. of wanted her mum there just as it's something that she'd always thought that she wanted to do. Um, but and between the two of us, we kind of handled it, I guess, because it dragged on for such a long period of time. It was, you know, it, it was just such a, a strange um, setup. For were you us. were you frightened or worried at any point? No, not at all. Um, the, I think the only time that I, I started to get a little bit concerned was just the fact that it seemed to be going on for ages. And obviously, I hadn't really researched, like, how long would they allow this to go on for? Um, Sophie was fairly steady in terms of the way that, you know, things developed. Um, I guess that first time that you see a woman, you know, and there's contractions and then the actual process of labor begins. Yeah. That's yeah. where it gets, you know, that's maybe not scary isn't the right word, but suddenly it's, it's definitely an eye opener. You know, you've never seen your partner in, in this position before. And I don't care how many episodes of one born every minute you've watched. Um, <laughs> we don't nothing, watch that. No, yeah. nothing, nothing quite prepares you for, you know, what actually goes on. Um, and I was, I, you know, I wanted to be down the action end and, and sort of see everything that was going on. And sometimes Sophie was okay with that. And other times she was like, I need you at the top of here, holding my hand sort of thing. Yeah. So I kind of just flitted between whatever role was required um, at the time. And how did you get involved in those first few weeks when you got home? 
So I was, I mean, we're very fortunate in that we run our business together. So it wasn't a case of um, me having like two weeks off paternity leave um, and then having to go back to work. So I just got fully involved straight away. Um, you know, I was doing nappies and um, we were mix feeding with Arlo. So it meant that in the night I could do some of the, the bottle feeds. Yeah. Um, and just, I, I really enjoyed that because that, you know, that bonding experience, I, I've spoken to dads, you know, with various different situations. And there are dads that, you know, if a baby is being exclusively breastfed, they yeah. sometimes feel, feel as though the only role that they have is literally to change a nappy and then hand the baby back to mum, um, yeah. you know, and uh, that's, that can be a challenge, you know, some, some people. And then if you add on top of that, if that's the case, but then you've also got a father that does have to go back to work after a couple of weeks, you know, the only real insight that they might have into the day to day is on a weekend. Um, and mm -hmm. that, that can be quite a challenge. So I was really fortunate. We didn't, we didn't have that. Um, you know, I was fully involved, just got stuck in. Um, you know, we say that we, we 50, 50 parent all of our children. Um, so I get to see the good, the bad and the ugly. I love that. <laughs> and I, I guess it would be really good to hear from you because obviously we're going to have a lot of, uh, a lot of mothers at the end of, uh, at the end of this, you know, listening how, if they are maybe going through that, where they feel that their partner, you know, he's the one that has, or he or she is the one that had to go back to work um mm -hmm. how can they involve them more like what was a what were the real moments where you thought you know actually Sophie and I are, are sort of jointly parenting we're sharing all this responsibility and was it a conversation that you'd had with Sophie before or did you naturally just find your feet as in you knew that that's the type of father that you wanted to be yeah I think I, I naturally it wasn't a conversation. Um, I don't think we ever had to sit down and discuss that, that those roles and responsibilities, you know, particularly. Um, I just, I knew even back then, I survive on better, you know, less sleep than Sophie. So to me, it just kind of made sense that if he was up and restless in the night and there was something that I could do about it, then I would just do it, um, yeah. you know, without having to be asked. <laughs> um, it's interesting because, you know, 90% of my following on Instagram is is female and I have a right. huge amount of mums or mums to be yeah. um, and so I, through all the conversations whether that's people that are talking about their own experience or people that are replying to stuff that I post I see a lot of that oh my word you're so active you're so involved I can't believe you know I've got a I know someone who's never changed a nappy or you know has never got up in the night and obviously everyone's situation is different but I just always think that if you if you can then just just get involved so my advice to sort of like new dads is just be as involved as you can be and that's, you know, it must be a challenge if you've got to get up at, you know, seven or six o'clock or whatever to leave the house at seven. Yeah. You probably can't do that on, on little sleep. But I just think that these early stages of, of having a baby, they, they fly by so quickly. Obviously, we've just had, you know, Otis is now 12 weeks old and I can't believe how quickly these 12 yeah. weeks have gone. Yeah. Um, so I always say to people, it's it might feel as though it's a huge thing, but that time is going to go by so, so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we quite that. often hear from, um, you know, fathers in particular who feel like 
the mum has a lot of control over the situation and sometimes mm. they feel like they don't want to step in or you know get things wrong because maybe the mum is at home Monday to Friday and they do things in a certain way so then when the weekend comes they don't want to sort of tread on any toes what advice would you give to I guess mums in particular to help empower their partners to you know to get stuck in because I think sometimes there's that barrier yeah no I, I totally agree I think you know one thing that's that's interesting is routine is key um but for a newborn you know there is that element of flexibility so you might have a particular way of doing things Monday to Friday but I think if ever there is a point where a father is you know dying to be involved and actively wants to do something then maybe that's where you can sway a little bit from you know the the standard routine you know I remember little things like just getting Arlo and taking him out for a walk on my own in his pram Mm -hmm. um you know and it it would literally be just around the you know the corner to the corner shop or you know just down the road and it was just little things like that where I felt that I was bonding with him um you know it was time for Sophie to just be in the house and you know have a shower and not have to worry about you know a a crying baby or or things like that so I think you know viewing those opportunities that's probably one of the most common things I see on Instagram actually for, for new parents is um you know them talking about how they never have time to have a shower or you know never have time to finish a hot drink and then I'm thinking well if you're if you've got a partner that's there and willing to help, then utilize them. Even if it's just for those moments, yeah. um, you know, then you break it up a little bit that way. Um, I agree with you. Do you know what, Ben? I feel, I feel you so much when you say stuff like that because, and I think it's really hard, especially as a first time mum. You know, if you've just had a baby you don't know what you're doing you're sort of like a swan you're trying to look you know gracious on the top but actually underneath you're just frantically mm. fucking paddling and not having a, a clue what's what's going on and how to look after the baby and and obviously you know we've carried the baby we've been born with the um with the mechanics to kind of grow it and house it and deliver it and all the rest of it and then suddenly it's quite hard to be like oh okay actually no there's somebody else in this who's 50 50 and needs you know I've, I've got to let go it's quite it's quite mm. a difficult process. I definitely made a real um decision to you know for Dozza and I to be completely equal when it came to stuff like that. But I still found it hard sometimes when I saw yeah. him changing a nappy in a different way and I was like, "Hang on, that's not how." And then it's like, "No, actually, they've got their own way of doing things and that's absolutely fine as well." It's not easy yeah. though. No, it's not easy. None of it is. No, I can imagine. And it's I mean it's it's even interesting I see this now with Otis where I think I have, you know, that threshold for a crying baby is a, is a really interesting one. I know that if he's been changed and I think he's been fed, you know, if he's crying on me, it's usually just, it's very momentary. Um, you know, I just always think he's going to go to sleep in a minute or he'll stop crying. Whereas obviously Sophie's natural reaction is, can I feed him? Um, is that what he needs? Does he need some sort of comforting? Um, and so, we kind of, I guess this is, this just comes from, you know, having so many children that we, we've kind of just got that balance now where, you know, I try not to get too stressed out if he's crying, you know, I'll maybe go to another part of the house just where it's a little bit quieter so yeah. that she can't, she can't hear what sounds like a baby constantly crying when actually, yeah. you know, I might yeah. just, I'm looking, I'm looking at his face and I can see his eyes rolling back in his head and he's, you know, he's ready to go off for a nap or whatever. Um, so it, it, it is about, you know, you have to relax on occasions, um, but it, it's a challenge. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that it, it's not, it's easy. 
We'll be right back after the short break. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So welcome back. Uh, back to this episode of Made by Mamas. Where were we? I feel like we need Ben to come into everyone's house just to be like, right, guys, <laughs> here's how to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, ben, a couple of weeks ago, we during um, Baby Loss Month, we opened up our podcast to some of our amazing followers. They were all female, the ones that left their voice notes to talk about their experiences with baby loss. It was a really, really important piece of audio. And obviously during that month, there's a lot of focus on, you know, how the mother feels and what they went through. Now you've yeah. been absolutely to hell and back with your situation. Can you just tell us the story of your experience around baby loss? Yeah, so very briefly, um, April last year, um, we lost our twins um, at 21 weeks and, um, it was just, you know, a nightmare scenario, the worst thing ever. You know, you, I, it goes without saying that you would have wished that on anyone. Um, and it was, it was just such a, a crazy situation for us because, you know, there was nothing that leading up to it would suggest it was going to happen. Um, yeah. I know we spoke about this um, before we recorded and um, it was essentially the doctors believe that it was just an incompetent cervix, which is way more common than anyone sort of ever believes. Um, it's only when you go through the experience or if you do the research that you realize how, how common something like that is. Um, but we not off the back of having three very successful pregnancies, you kind of forget that there are any issues. Um, and, you know, we'd done everything by the book, you know, we not told anyone that we were having baby until, 12 weeks we didn't even announce that it was twins until the um the gender reveal at like 16 17 weeks um you know we we sort of you go through all those milestones I guess and so we felt as though everything was on track and even the day that everything sort of started to go downhill was the day that Sophie had her 20 week scan and you know it's the most detailed scan that she's ever had and the consultant was completely happy with everything he is still baffled to this day as to how Sophie went from seeing him in the afternoon and being completely fine to coming home that evening and basically starting to go into labour. It was it was just the most surreal experience ever. So can you talk us through that experience? Obviously, you'd you'd had healthy babies before and mm-hmm. so you can't, you know, you knew what happened when when Sophie went into labour. How 
you know what what happened and and was it was it a sort of a panic situation because she was only 20 weeks well it was what was really interesting was that the process started um as I say, that one evening um, where she was in severe pain, having come back, travelled back from London from her appointment. And um, I remember just going into the bedroom and she, she was going to go and try and lie down and have a bath and, you know, just see if that would settle the pain. And I remember a lot of these pains she was experiencing and thinking, is it just so intense because it's multiples? Because it's, um, yeah. yeah, so, you know, there was an element of that. But I remember that one particular moment where Sophie said to me, I feel like I'm in labor and, you know, she has an incredible pain threshold. So um, when she said that, it was the moment that I was like, there is definitely something wrong. So we ended up being, you know, blue lit in an ambulance to, to, to hospital. Um, but actually nothing happened until eight days later. So Sophie was in hospital for over a week before she then went back into labor um, and actually delivered the twins, um, which that in itself, I mean, looking back at the situation, I do almost think that that probably helped with how we were processing and dealing with everything because we went into hospital expecting that night to deliver, you know, both of them and then the contractions stopped and, you know, everything sort of appeared to be going back to normal. Um, and then over the period of a week, you know, you start to get your hopes up, you know, you think, are we going to be one of these cases where, um, you know, the waters start to replenish? Our, our son had lost some of his waters, but they hadn't gone completely. So we were having scans almost daily and, you know, there were still two heartbeats and, you know, everything was still looking fairly positive. And what were they saying to you at this point, Ben? Were they saying that there was a chance that it was going to be okay? I mean, no. Um, the the doctors were very, very realistic with us and said that you know this could turn at any point, um, and they kept reinforcing to us that Sophie was the priority. Any right. changes with her, any signs of infection, the the twins would have to come out, and so they'd have to basically save Sophie's life. That, that's kind of, and it, it felt really at times it felt really harsh to be hearing that because you know I'm on Google going oh but did you hear about this baby that yeah. you know was in America and you know the waters went at 21 weeks and they got to 24 weeks and you know everything was okay or you, you start reading forums where people are claiming that you know the waters had replenished and yeah. so we're, we're trying to hold on to those positive things and then you know at this point, obviously, my Instagram's in full effect and we're talking about it very openly as to what's going on on Instagram and everyone's sending their love and their support and their messages. And, yeah. you know, you, you do really start to, like, build your hopes up. Um, but the medical team were very realistic with us. Um, and so I think it just... it. It was a again. I use the term roller coaster because I feel like we've been through that in, in so many different ways. But that that was a real roller coaster of emotions. Um, wanting to remain positive, you know, it got to a point where Sophie was saying to me, "I feel okay, but I feel like the doctors think that I'm lying to them because I'm I'm being blinded by the fact okay. of wanting this." Yeah, and yeah. and it was it was an element like that. And then, as I say, you know, eight days later, it kind of that's when we did see the turn that they'd been talking about. Um, and you know, she went into active labour, and you know, once the twins were born, she went into septic shock and all mm, of that yeah. side of things, which was again one of the, the scariest things to, to to sort of witness. Um, and it was just just the 
the, the most surreal experience um you know that that we've ever been through and, and hopefully we we'd never have to experience anything like that ever again how does it feel you know watching your partner go through something like that physically you know she was obviously at risk herself how does it feel hearing the doctors say you know we need to save Sophie when obviously you've got twins as well to think about I mean you know no one wants to be placed in in that situation we the, the thing that I think did keep Sophie and I going, as I say, apart from all the, the outpouring of love and support that we were receiving was just the fact that we know that we had three happy, healthy children back at home. Yeah. Um, that was a real thing. I, I always say that if we had gone through what we did last year as first time parents, yeah, God. I don't know how people bounce back and mm. recover from, from that. Obviously everyone's losses, every loss is bad, but I just think there are certain things that you look at and you go, that could be a lot worse than this particular situation. And that was for us just a real, just, we, we just kept thinking about the three kids and being, we're, we're incredibly fortunate to have them. And this was unfortunately one of those situations where things weren't going to plan. Um, and so we wanted to just stay strong for the kids. And I guess even off the back of it, you know, once everything had happened and we kind of had to go back to some sort of normality, I guess our going back to normal may have happened a lot quicker than other people's because once we came home from the hospital, we had three other children that needed our yeah. full attention straight away. Yeah. Did, did you notice um, an increase in people reaching out to you saying, this has happened to me, um, I haven't wanted to talk about it? Um, I, I obviously saw, you know, on your socials that you you wrote quite a strong, very powerful letter to the women at Loose, Loose Women who were discussing mm-hmm. Chrissy Teigen and John Legend's, um, uh, yeah, I mean, what do we call it? We call it a miscarriage at 20 weeks, I guess. Um, what, everything that, that, that they went through. You basically worded a letter to them, didn't you, to the women saying, the way you've discussed that on telly, the fact that you told um, other parents to keep it private, that that's what their view was. Um, so I kind of want to get your, your view on that, really. Yeah, I mean, in answer to the first question, did we sort of hear more people coming out? Yes. Um, you know, I remember the it's, it's one of those really strange peaks actually that I've had with with my social media where obviously because we were talking about something that was so real and so relatable there was just suddenly this influx of people that you know were now saying I've gone through this um, and there were people that had been following me for maybe like a year two years um, that had other children and then were now telling me that they'd gone through it previously or there were other people that were in hospital going through it at the same time as we were um so there was there was definitely that and i feel as though you know the whole my whole reasoning around that the loose women um situation was just that it is still i believe quite a taboo topic um you know we are getting better at it and there is more conversation and things like you know baby loss awareness week or baby loss awareness month obviously are amplifying that conversation but there are still people that feel that there is nowhere to turn. And I think, you know, I get debates on TV. Debates are brilliant because, you know, you bring to the four different people's opinions. But yeah. I think sometimes when that, the way that that was, the reason I felt let down by that conversation was just that I felt it was a real opportunity. I think I remember it happening just at the beginning of, of October. And so I was like, we've got this whole month that's dedicated to baby loss awareness. And, you know, I felt as though that could have been a real opportunity to talk about 
you know, how common this is, you know, the support that's out there. And also just the fact that in this day and age, social media for a lot of people is the way that they express themselves. And so it shouldn't, I don't think people should feel scared to talk about their experience of something like this just because it's social media and that that might make somebody else feel a little bit uncomfortable. You know, I'm sure me talking about our experience made some of my followers uncomfortable. Um, You know, my opinion is that they have a choice. They have the choice to engage, listen, you know, show their empathy. Um, They have the option to just breeze over it or they have the option to unfollow me, Um, you know, because it's my page and it's, it's my platform. And so that was my my only issue with with that conversation. It felt very much as though there was still that element of judgment of, oh, were those pictures a bit too raw? Oh, they made me feel uncomfortable. Well, yeah, it's it's going to make you feel uncomfortable yeah. because ba- baby loss is uncomfortable, yeah. Um, yeah. and it's a very uncomfortable conversation. I mean, I th- I mean, we completely agree with what you've just said, and I think. you know, this podcast for us is a way that we can talk about those taboo subjects. And we hear so much, as I'm sure you do, that when you're going through something like baby loss or, you know, other other issues, hearing somebody else going through it makes you feel so much less alone and Mm. also just supported, even if you don't know that person. Um, I think suffering in silence is not usually the best way um agreed very much yeah yeah i agree and i think the other thing as well is uh, people were me now giving advice to other people you know obviously this is something that happens daily and i i get message about messages about it all the time and i just know that you know your friends and your family around you if they've never experienced anything like this there's only so much that they can say or do, you know, they will not always know whether you want to talk about it or, you know, the right thing to say or the wrong thing, you know, there's just people second guess themselves. So when you have someone that's been through it or is going through it at the same time as you, you automatically just forge that, that bond over this particular life event. Um, And that's why I feel that social media is really helpful because you know, people did come forward and people did explain how they managed to get through certain situations. Um, obviously, again, this goes for parenting in general. Everyone's situation is different and everyone handles things differently. So it's not as though everyone that's ever lost a child has, you know, play by play handled things exactly the same way. So it's yeah. not like there's a, a guide, mm. but there is some sort of reference point there where, you know, someone might say, well, this didn't hit me straight away, but three months later, this is where it was. Or it might be that it's the anniversary of the loss or the due date or, you know, any of these sorts of conversations that, yeah. that happen. It really helps you through. My uh, my husband, did- sorry, George, I was just going to say that Dozer okay. lost a baby very late um, in his previous relationship, I think around 25 weeks. And um, in a very weird twist of fate, he ended up having... Luna, who is our daughter, on the same day that the baby would have been born. Mm. Um, So it's just this sort of weird, and I sometimes look at him on her birthday, you know, and there is obviously so much joy because we ended up having a baby on that day, but also the pain that he went through, and he's actually quite vocal about it. Um, And I think sometimes fathers are are supposed to just kind of get on with it because it's not necessarily happening to their body, Um, but they very much go through it and feel it and experience it as well. 
Um, it's about grieving together, isn't it, when you experience something like that? I think it definitely is. And I think that between, you know, both parties, I, I, the one thing that I just always say to people, and I don't even think I did this myself to, to some degree is, you know, kind of keeping the lines of communication completely yeah. open because yeah. when it's all happening and, you know, you're still in hospital or the days after and you've got funerals to arrange and things, obviously it becomes a, a topic of conversation between the two of you, but you know, what happens once the funeral's passed and, you know, you're back to some sort of normality in, in quote marks, um, you know, what then happens? And I think that's maybe, I feel that I kind of lost sight of that a little bit because it felt as though life was back to normal and that things were going on. But, you know, we just remember thinking, well, we've lost the twins, but we did want to, have another baby at some point um you know obviously as, as i say we've, we've had otis now and you know that there was there was just moments that the conversation wasn't flowing around how we were both feeling at any given time um and so i'd just encourage anyone that is going through that to kind of just keep those lines of communication talk to each other about how you're feeling again it's gonna be uncomfortable um yeah. but actually you'll probably be drawn to each other by, by having those conversations. And would you say that you and Sophie dealt with it in the same way or did you go through a different grieving process? I think we were very similar in that when everything was very intense, we were both there at this, you know, we were very much feeling it the same way. Yeah. Um, I think once, t as time's gone on, it's, it's really strange sometimes I don't feel we've spoken about it enough. Yeah. Um, and that's knowing that I'm free. I'm obviously always felt a certain way about it. And I know that Sophie has, has felt the same way. I did a podcast um, uh, last month and I, I, I think I said on there that I can almost imagine that there were times where I was downstairs in the office crying about it. And yeah. Sophie was up, upstairs in the bedroom crying about it as well, but we weren't doing it together. Yeah. And that's, you know, I look back at those scenarios and I think that wasn't the right way to handle it. You know, we, we probably should have been coming together a lot, lot more than, than we were. Um, but that was just, I, I, and I don't know what the reason for that was. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you, you change that because again, the other thing as well is I suppose in my head, what I was thinking is I'm actually quite upset about this now, but Sophie might not be. And so I don't want to, now go and throw all of my yeah. grief on her. So yeah. I'm, presu I'm presuming that she might, uh, this is hindsight me going, oh, she was probably upstairs crying about it, but actually she could have been completely fine and I wasn't, um, but I never wanted to burden her with that. And then I guess, you know, vice versa. Yeah. Um, it just, I think the good thing for us was that certainly in the early days, whilst it was all still fresh, it was that, you know, there was, a, we were treating it together as a unit. I yeah, think amazing. The, cha the challenge became when, you know, when we fell pregnant again, because that's where a subsequent pregnancy, you have very different emotions towards it all. Mm -hmm. um, and are there any outlets online that really helped you when you were going through that, that you want to recommend to anybody else? Um, I think, you know, there, we got handed loads of information packs at the hospital. Um, SANS is obviously one of the most popular charities and they actually provide packs for, you know, parents. And I must admit, I, I got the pack, I brought it home, I put it on the desk. I didn't really pay too much attention to it at first um, because it was all very much, I just felt, 
you know, we need to handle this our own way. And then I just remember a few months down the line, I, you know, I started opening it up and I was reading various booklets and there is the support and the help out there. We had a, an incredible bereavement midwife who, you know, was there and able to help us at any time. You know, we, we felt as though we could call her for anything that we needed. Amazing. So I think it's just it's strange. Some people want to talk about it constantly from the moment that it happens and others will just want to process. And I think the the good thing is that those support systems are there whichever stage, you know, we're a year and a half on now. And if I felt as though I needed to pick up the phone and speak to one of those organizations about it, yeah. I still can. There's no there's no judgment there. Um, now, listen, we like to ask um, our guests on the podcast the best piece of parenting advice that they would give to a new parent. Um, the best piece of advice, sleep when the baby sleeps. <laughs> um, yeah. just, seems to be the, like one of the most obvious things um, to say. I know that's not always practically uh, possible, but it, it will probably help your sanity. And then I'm going to sneak in another one, which is take lots of pictures. Um, I don't think I did this enough. Yeah. And, you know, as I say, the, the difference, maybe I do it a little bit more now because of social media and, you know, sort of just, just being a lot more active that way. But looking back at the, the previous children, I'm sort of thinking there are huge gaps there where I don't have a photo for that particular memory or, or whatever. So, yeah, I always, I always encourage people to do that. Oh, and so lots of our listeners like to hear product recommendations. So what would be your like top five products, you know, for your older kids or, you know, your youngest, whatever that is, what are your like diehard products? Otis at the moment in the day only seems to sleep on me when he's in his baby Bjorn carrier. Um, we, so we've got the one that's kind of like the, the naught to six months, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and without that, I don't think he would be napping in the day. Um, so we really, really enjoying that. Um, I put a photo up on my Instagram at the weekend uh, where I was in the shower and he was in his, the Nuna Leaf chair. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. It seems to be like, he doesn't mind, as long as he can see me, he's fine. Um, <laughs> so, that, you know, if I need to have a shower and Sophie's running around sorting the other kids out, particularly in the week when we're dealing with the school, that's another um, firm favourite. The, the one thing that we have been using quite a lot it's, and this is also just to try and get Otis off me. I don't know if you heard about it. It's called the Baba, the Babakush. Oh my um, gosh, I used it. The Babakush. Yes. Yes. So, so that is really useful because he likes sleeping. He obviously likes sleeping on his tummy, which, you know, there's all sorts of advice about that. Yeah. Um, but he, he does actually enjoy that. And this is just a really nice, com we use it in conjunction with the leaf actually, in that he's, he's like, he's sort of just hovering on his tummy and he just seems to quite like, uh, like using that at the moment um the kid the the older kids we're getting into like that really interesting age where they're they're quite similar in age so cutlery is it's always a conversation in ads because they've all got their favorite um cutlery but there's this company that we found called nana's manners oh my gosh we um, love yeah, nana's manners we're yeah. into it and, and their products i just i just love it um i have to make sure though that i give the right child the right color cutlery because oh. if, I, if i if i get that wrong then you know all hell breaks loose you mentioned one that might work across all ages something that we've been using a lot recently with all of our kids is a product that we found on Instagram. It's called Love for Little Learners. 
um, they're little educational packs and they are all about teaching kids right from early years right the way through to sort of preschool and, and beyond um, and it's a, an ex-teacher that put them together and I think she's done incredibly well this year sort of building um, out this this business I won't spoil too much what all the, the products are but uh, yeah I'm definitely urging everyone to head over to her page and uh, I think she's love for little learners on Instagram and then my final one which I genuinely use every single day is um the tiba and mal um snack boxes oh, yeah. um, we we did an event with them a, a few months ago and we were very kindly gifted um these the snack packs and we, they are so multi-purpose in our house so the kids have all got one and something that i did during lockdown was um, i was fed up of getting up really early in the morning so i used to pack their breakfast for them and just leave it outside their bedroom doors um and I, I'd use those. And then also um, another thing that every parent with a school child will relate to is when you turn up at school to pick them up and all they care about is their snacks rather than anything else that's gone on that <laughs> yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I literally fly to the, the school gate with three snack packs in my hand, ready to go that, you know, they're, they're, they are, they are used as I say on a daily basis in our house. Love that. Love oh, that, Ben. Thank you. thank you so much for coming on. It's been such an insight to hear from a dad's point of view, you know, all yeah. of the stuff no. that we're going through, you know, it's, it's really interesting G, isn't it? It is. Thank you so much. I'm sure that'll be really, really helpful to lots of people as well. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Ben. See you. Bye. I wish that Ben was always around to give us advice. He just seems like he's got his shit together. He does. He's got the 50-50 parenting thing down, hasn't he? And do you know what's nice as well? Like, I don't think I've ever heard another dad talk about having a shower. You know, like, oh, um, and the baby was in the bouncer while I was in the shower. I I was thinking about it and I was thinking, I don't think I've ever heard a dad do that. Like, I think if James wanted to have a shower, he would just have left, you know, Axel or Gigi, wherever they were just to go and have a shower like yeah he wouldn't have thought he wouldn't have thought oh yeah I'll put them in the bouncer and I'll have a shower so then they're okay I mean yeah he's amazing he's amazing and also it was interesting to hear about what it's like in a delivery room and you know the fact that he was at business end and then she was like no get up the top end and then you know talking about obviously the horrendous loss that they've been through and how he dealt with it in a different way to Sophie and all that kind of stuff it was just it's really interesting we need to get more dads on the podcast yeah we do it's really nice to get another perspective um so hopefully that is something we can do going forward yes any dad recommendations that you've got let us know send us a message um and as always we would love you to rate review and subscribe to the podcast and please 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 tell all of your mates if you know that somebody isn't listening to the podcast yeah we would we'd love you to give them a little nudge yeah please do and keep your suggestions coming um, send us a message at made by mummers or on zoe's channel at zoe hardman and we're going to be back on friday with another q a episode can't wait see you then normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 